What are the barriers to investing in Africa? This is the question we are going to explore in this interview. I'm Usman Hat from CFA Institute, and today joining me is Tenda Musikawanu. He's a CFA charter holder, and he's co-founder of One Stone Capital Group, as well as Old Mutual Global Traffic Indices. Uh, Tenda has got expertise in investing in Africa. He's been investing in the African markets for more than 15 years, and he's a frequent commentator on issues relating to investing in Africa. So, Tenda, welcome. Thank you. Uh, what we did in October 2013, we did a survey of our members in Europe. And we asked, one of the questions we asked them was, what is the largest barrier for investing in Africa? And what actually came out on top was lack of sufficient information and illiquid markets. And 29% of our respondents think that lack of sufficient information and illiquid markets is the largest barrier to investing in Africa. How would you comment on that? Yes, I think... I probably should preface it by saying that today's uh, global investor faces a dilemma. On the one hand, they have to choose between liquidity and on the other hand, uh, performance. Unfortunately, you don't get those two parameters uh, in the same markets anymore. In other words, you can have all the liquidity you want in Japan and Europe, but you're not going to get any sort of style of performance, at least not yet, it seems, in those two markets. That being said, Africa's liquidity is improving. And uh, you could invest, for example, $100 million. And yes, we have a customized index that uh, includes some aspects of liquidity. Well, you can trade that within about 20 trading days, you know, to 90% of the portfolio. But still, that is dwarfed by even the U.S. small caps end of the market for U.S. investors uh, in terms of daily liquidity. So it is a challenge, but this is probably a time when investors have to ask, do I really need liquidity that much? I think a lot of investors have been sold this whole liquidity story by people who benefit from selling that liquidity story. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, long-term investors need growth and performance. And as long as you're doing well, as Warren Buffett said, buy and hold. Ah, nice. So give us a sense of, if possible, what will be the cost of a round trip? So we're talking about liquidity. What will be the cost of a round trip for an institution investor getting in and getting out of Africa? We've done tests in, on a broader universe of which Africa is a subset, uh, the frontier markets, uh, together with City. We did a best execution analysis on, in terms of that trade uh, cost. And it's 147 basis points one way, so basically just under 300 basis points for the whole round trip. It is that cost that we believe uh, makes it very difficult for active fund management to continue without having significant hemorrhaging uh, of returns in the portfolio. In other words, an active fund manager will compound that 300 basis points each year, as opposed to a passive fund manager who will incur that 300 basis points and typically spread it over the whole investment time horizon. Um, there are other reasons, including information flow, that we believe is an important issue to consider with this regard. But yeah, that's, that's where I stand on that. Interesting. And the next obstacle which came out in the survey is insufficient regulatory and legal protection for investors and 23% of our respondents thought this was the largest obstacle to investing in Africa. What's your, uh, what's, how would you comment on this? I definitely agree that since the fall of the Berlin Wall and the end of the Cold War, that Africa is looking more attractive. 
and there have been some very good forces afoot in terms of increasing regulation. It really does depend on where you are. In other words, you can't generalize about Europe and say Latvia is in the same basket as the UK. Um, the same sort of thing. that in, in Africa, you've got some very well-run economies and some well-regulated economies and financial sectors. Um, for example, growing numbers of CFA charter holders in these territories. Um, and that's probably the reason why having a passive fund management um, or passive uh, approach to Africa helps. A lot of indices, before they construct these indices, take investability as one of the, f- pre- the, f- the important criteria uh, before entering a market or governance levels or um, depth of regulation and therefore will screen for investors uh, out those countries that haven't had adequate development in those areas. Um, whilst an active fund manager could go to Syria... <laughs> There's really no no limit unless the, the client specifically says not to go there. Uh, yet one more reason why we believe, uh, you know, it's a surprising thing, but that passive may well be the way they approach to Africa. Mm-hmm. And the next obstacle that came out in the survey is corruption. 21% of our respondents thought that corruption is the largest obstacle to investing in Africa. What's your take on corruption? Uh, are you talking about American corruption? Or, no, I, I sort of said that as a joke, but the reality is, um, sadly, corruption is pervasive. Wherever the human beings are corruption, there's corruption. And the best question to ask is, are there mitigants to that corruption? Um, yes, there are uh, certain countries that are corrupt in Africa. But the the largest countries are trying to clean up their act considerably. I met regulators in Kenya. um, I've met regulators in Nigeria and South Africa. And uh, they are really um, putting in place regulation and also investigative uh, police forces to root out corruption. Ultimately, this and other systemic risks are best dealt with through diversification. The best answer to any individual country risk is diversification. Uh, and the next actually factor is related to what you just said. So the fourth uh, largest obstacle or barrier to investing in Africa in view of our respondents is a poor perception due to political risk. And 15% of respondents thought that this was the, this was the largest barrier. Yes, I think um, that may well be a view that's probably still somewhat of a, a lag or a hangover from the Cold War days when um, you know, one of the major hegemonies globally had their puppet or dictator that they propped up uh, in, in, in Africa. Um, there, there's some statistics that I, I can't remember in terms of numbers of numbers of Africans today who've had at least one peaceful democratic transition in government uh, and show trends showing that that is actually growing. Um, but in terms of uh, the risks that are out there, I often talk to uh, U.S. investors who think, well, what if there's another coup? Ultimately, again, that, that is a, an idiosyncratic risk. And the best way to, to, get, to mitigate that is to diversify and to put risk parameters. Um, sometimes we put risk caps on certain countries to make sure the investors that have concerns about those uh, are not overly exposed to them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so far, I mentioned four obstacles. And interestingly, between these, uh, these four obstacles and barriers, we've had 88% of the responses so we've covered lack of sufficient information and in liquid markets. We talked about insufficient uh, regulatory and legal protection, corruption, poor perception. Now, looking at some of the other issues, uh, I found it interesting that a poor perception due to past humanitarian crisis, only 1% of respondents actually thought that this is the largest barrier to investing in Africa. So do you think the perceptions have moved on? Yes, I think um, people are realizing that... Um there are so many positive trends. There's a great article 
um, by the McKinsey Global Institute, and there are many articles like them, where I think investors today are much more um, adequately informed about exactly what's happening in Africa. Um, the democratic transitions I mentioned mitigate that issue of uh, having dictators or humanitarian crises. And I think uh, a lot of people are more interested. It shows that people are actually more ready to invest because they've overcome that hurdle and are now asking practical questions about the actual investment process, such as liquidity, governance, etc. Uh, very interesting. So finally, what, how would you summarize your thoughts on barriers to investing in Africa based on what we've discussed so far? I think um, there, there are definitely barriers to entering Africa. I sort of hark back uh, to, we, we've done analysis uh, since December 1987, um, where um, there were significant barriers to entering the emerging markets. Um, and in fact, all the way to the mid-90s, if you wanted to invest in Russia, there was Yeltsin with empty shelves in the supermarkets. There was Turkey with hyperinflation, Asia with a crisis, Argentina with a peso crisis. Most investors were not at full weight in the emerging markets and because of these issues. But yet, those who did invest, if you had invested $100 million in 1987 and held it today to, to September, that uh, $100 million would have grown to one8 billion US dollars. If you invest the same hundred million dollars in IFA, basically Europe and uh, uh, developed Asia and Australasia, um, that would have grown uh, to $400 million. So you would have had an opportunity cost of $1.4 billion based on your asset allocation because there were certain challenges to investing in emerging markets. I would like to challenge today's investor to not make the same mistake when it comes to Africa. So on that note, we close this interview. Thank you, Tendai, for your time. Thank you. And thank you, all viewers, for watching. Copyright 2013 CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.